I've decided to get back into our regular exposition of Romans. I think the, going through the Word of God is always healthy and good for us. And it really, I think this section does apply quite a to us right now. Even though we can't meet physically together because of the coronavirus, we can, there is a way that we can apply God's Word from Romans 12 on spiritual gifts um, presently, right now. So let's just go into the Word. How about that? We left off last time with the gift of prophecy in verse, let me find it, 6. Romans 12, 6. But there are six other spiritual gifts mentioned that we haven't even talked about. And that's what I want to get into today. So let's open up to Romans 12, and we're just going to read starting in verse 3, because that's really the beginning of this section. We'll read from verse 3 down through verse 8. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. <clears throat> if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Lord, I do ask for your favor and help and power as we seek to open up this section of Scripture and to understand how it applies to our own lives and how, Lord, you might use us in our own church that you've called us to, so please come and may the Holy Spirit be working in the hearts and minds of each person, taking the Word of God and making it understandable and clear and showing them how they can apply these truths to their life. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it would be good for us to go back and see where we've come from. Romans 12 begins a whole new section of the book of Romans with the application section. The first 11 chapters are doctrine, the second five are application. And what Paul does in Romans 12 through 16 is he shows us how to live out the gospel. And he starts in our relationship with God. And he tells us how we are to live out the gospel in relationship to God. And the way we do that is by presenting our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. That's our spiritual service of worship acceptable to God, pleasing to God, well-pleasing to Him. So we take all of who we are, I think that's what he means by body, take all who you are and present that, dedicate that to God as a sacrifice to him. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're never off duty when it comes to dedicating ourselves to God, we are always called to do, be doing that. And then the second part of that is the negative, we are to refuse to be conformed to this present world, which means 
that we are to refuse to be conformed to the thinking patterns, the values, the attitudes of the world, but instead we are to be shaped by God's word because he goes on to say to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're born into this world with minds that don't think correctly. We don't have God's, a God-centered perspective in our thinking and we have to reshape that thinking pattern we have to transform or be transformed by the renewing, making new of our minds. But as soon as Paul gets done telling us how we're to live out the gospel in relationship to God, he begins to tell us how to live out the gospel in relationship to others. So he starts with the vertical, and then he extends very quickly to the horizontal, and pretty much the rest of chapter 12 is all dedicated to showing us how to live out the gospel in relationship to one another in the church. And Really, as I've looked over chapter 12, I would entitle chapter 12, well, at least from verse 3 on, what is the church supposed to look like? Have you ever wondered, we know what the church does look like, but what is the church supposed to look like, biblically? Those two things can be miles apart from each other. I don't think the church was ever intended to look like what it often does look like today. I think there's a big difference between what Scripture teaches and what we settle for 2,000 years later. I think for many people, church is what they do for one or two hours a week, usually on a Sunday morning. And the rest of the week, they don't think about the people they met with. They don't communicate with those people. They just live life doing whatever they want to do the rest of the week. And those one or two hours a week is sort of like a checkoff list they know they have to do that. That's their duty. So they'll come and they'll meet with other people, check off that duty, and then they're done for the rest of the week. But biblical church life is nothing like that. Biblical church life is to be radically committed to the people that you meet with in love. And so it, there is a sense where we should be uh, committed to those people seven days a week and that we should have a relationship with those same people Church is not just attending an event where you watch a show together, kind of like going to a sporting event or to a movie, and you're all together in one place. That's not church. Church is, is fellowship. It's sharing in, in the life of Christ together, and it's bearing each other's burdens, and it's weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And if someone is poor and destitute, it's uh, giving this world's goods to help them get through that time. It's, it's a sharing of, of life together in Christ. So... Biblical church life happens all week long, and without this, all we have is the outer shell without the inward substance. And what I want us to experience at the bridge is the inward substance of real, biblical, Christ-centered church life. So that's what chapter 12 is all about. So I'm excited for us to study that together. And I find it interesting that during this coronavirus outbreak, we haven't been able to check off the box, except for Oleg and Linda. They can check off the box if they want to. But nobody else can, because nobody else can even come here. So even though we can't check off the box, I find that we're becoming more committed to each other than we were before. Amen. Isn't that so cool? Yeah. We can't go through the outward motions, but the inward substance is growing stronger and stronger in our hearts as we are more and more committed to each other and our relationships are going deeper. Because, I mean, we are communicating every day over our chat texts, and then uh, many times a week, video chats and praying together. None of that happened before. So this is all new and fresh and living and wonderful. I, I'm very, very happy for that.
And God is working all things together for good, even in the midst of this affliction. Now, getting back to our text, the first thing Paul teaches us in verses 3 through 8 about church life is this. Every member of the body is to minister to the rest by exercising their spiritual gifts. That's the first thing he wants us to learn about true biblical church life. Every member of the body, not some, not the pastors, not the elders, not the deacons, not the super spiritual, every member of the body is to be ministering to the rest through the spiritual gifts that God has given to them. And he does teach us in verse 3 that we are to use those gifts in humility. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we're to minister those gifts in faith because he says, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And then in verse 4 he tells us we are to minister to one another through diversity. Because he says in verse 4, all the members don't have the same function. God never intended for us all to have the same function. If we did, there'd be no need for 99% of us. Right? It's really important that the toes do the walking and the hands do the reaching and the heart does the pumping and all the members are doing what God has made them to do. He's given each of us a role, a purpose, and a function. In verse 5, he tells us that we are to minister to one another out of this living organic unity. Even though we're diverse and we're all very different from each other, we are all united to each other in Christ. Because he says in verse 5 that we are members one of another. Mm. Now just consider that for a minute. Think about the bridge. I mean, you, you could apply this worldwide to every Christian in the world, but let's condense it down to our own church family now for just a minute. All the members of the bridge are members of each other. Meaning that there is a living, organic, vital union, not only between us and Christ, but between us and every other member of the church. So you, like I am a part of you, and you are a part of me. It's not just that we are acquaintances that attend the same building to hear the same preaching. That's not it at all. There's this living union between us. And that should express itself in relationship and commitment to one another. So there is diversity, and there is unity, and there is to be humility and faith. And that brings Paul then to discuss the spiritual gifts and how they are to function within the body of Christ. The very first gift he mentions is the gift of prophecy, which we discussed several weeks ago. And I, I think I'll just give you a real short recap of that in case you've forgotten what the gift of prophecy is all about. We, di we discussed the definition of prophecy. We discussed um, whether prophecy exists today and we exist how we should exercise the gift of prophecy in the church. So prophecy is to report in human words something that the Holy Spirit spontaneously brings to mind. It's different from teaching because in teaching you study a text and you expound a text. Prophecy is not the same thing. It's reporting to others what God spontaneously brings to mind. It's given to both men and women. And it seems to be a widely distributed gift within the body of Christ. It brings edification, exhortation, and consolation with it when it functions. It is supernatural because it can reveal the secrets of men's hearts, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
and it's to be judged by the church. It's not infallible. It's not inerrant. The rest of the church needs to judge whether that prophecy really was a word from God or whether it was just someone speaking on their own without the Holy Spirit giving them that, that word. It's under the person's control as well. We don't become automatons and become overcome and just can't help ourselves. We start blab blabbing away without being able to stop. That's not it at all. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, the scripture says. We decided from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 12, that the gift of prophecy will continue in the church until Jesus Christ returns and we see him face to face, as well as words of knowledge and wisdom and tongues, according to that passage. And prophecy must be exercised in humility, meaning that we don't dogmatically say, this is thus saith the Lord and you must obey what I'm telling you. No, we, we don't approach it that way. We say, this is what I believe the Lord is saying. Does that bear witness to you? Is the Lord telling you that as well? So there's humility and there's faith. You speak according to the proportion of your faith. Okay, well that, that's a summary of the gift of prophecy, real quick. But there are six other gifts that Paul lists here in Romans chapter 12. And those are the gifts that we want to look at today. Now, some scholars have divided the gifts that Paul lists um, into two kind of categories. They say Romans 12 gives us the motivational gifts of the Spirit, and 1 Corinthians 12 gives us the manifestational gifts of the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard these distinctions before. But in 1 Corinthians 12, he lists gifts like tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healings, miracles, faith, discerning of spirits, words of knowledge and wisdom. And they say those are more the manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit manifests himself in these supernatural displays. But over here in Romans 12, it doesn't seem like it's really that kind of gifts that Paul's focused on, but motivational gifts. In other words, these are the gifts that we are motivated by to do things in the service of Christ. Like we're motivated to teach, or motivated to exhort, or to give, or to lead, or to serve, or to show mercy. And so these gifts in Romans 12 seem to express a person's inner heart desire in his service for Christ. This morning, what I'd like to do is first look at some common errors that we make when we think about spiritual gifts. And then when we're done with that, we're going to examine each of these six gifts and see what they are and how perhaps the Lord may want to use us in one of those ways. So first of all, let's focus on some common errors on, about spiritual gifts. So the first error is that Paul is giving a comprehensive list of all the gifts. Now we know that's not true because Romans 12 lists seven gifts. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 lists nine other gifts. The only gift that is the same in both lists is prophecy. All the others are different. So we know that Paul is not trying to give us a list of all the, lists, all the various gifts that are even possible in any of his lists. He's giving us a sampling. He's giving us a representative sampling of some of the gifts, but not all of them. Let me define a spiritual gift before we go any further. A spiritual gift is a special ability that God has given you which is empowered by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of others. 
And I might make one exception to that definition with the gift of tongues. Because Paul says that the person who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But of all the other gifts that we read about, they are given for the common good. They are to edify the body. So, that's what a spiritual gift is. And what we learn, first of all, is that Paul's not trying to give us a list of all the different possible gifts that the Holy Spirit might give us. He's giving us a sampling of some of those gifts in each of the places. That, could, that tells us that Paul may have not tried to give us every possible gift that the Holy Spirit does give. There may be some gifts that the Holy Spirit still gives that are not mentioned in the Bible. I, I just have to lay that out as a possibility. Okay, secondly, a second misconception or error that we sometimes make is that we think about each spiritual gift being completely separate and different from all the other gifts. In other words, we try to rigidly define each spiritual gift as being in this box, in this compartment. And here's the gift of prophecy, and here's the gift of teaching, and here's the gift of service, and each one is completely separate and compartmentalized and different from all the rest. But it's interesting to me, Paul doesn't even try to ever define these spiritual gifts. Notice that? He mentions the gifts, but he doesn't define what they are. And so when we come to Rome or 1 Corinthians 12 and he says the gift of the word of knowledge, we're actually guessing about what that gift is because he never tells us what it is. We're doing our best to try to figure out what he meant by that, but Paul doesn't define the gifts. He's not rigidly defining each one and saying this is what it is and it's not this. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that in the Bible, the gifts of the Holy Spirit overlap each other. They're not separate and different and compartmentalized and rigidly defined. They overlap with other gifts. And let me give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Paul says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So one who prophesies, there's the gift of prophecy, he speaks to men for exhortation. There's the gift of exhortation. You've got prophecy and exhortation overlapping in the same gift at the same time. Or Titus 1.9 says, Elders must be able to exhort in sound doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. So elders have to be able to exhort in sound teaching. Well, you've got two gifts going on, exhortation and teaching. And they're coming together in the same form through the same person at the same time, probably. Or in Romans 12, we read here about the gift of giving and the gift of mercy. But wouldn't there be an element of giving in a person who's showing mercy to somebody else? And wouldn't there be an element of serving in the person who's showing mercy to somebody else? How can you really be one who's showing mercy if you're not giving or serving at the same time? So you see that there's overlap of those gifts with this one. So that's what makes me think that these gifts should not be rigidly defined or mutually exclusive of other gifts or even that there's a set number like there's 12 or 15 or 17 and that's all there is or that each one comes separately so that if I have this gift I won't have the other gift. I think rather we should think about these gifts is that they come in different proportions and different intensities and different strengths and different mixes. 
so that every single person in the church is absolutely unique in the various combination of gifts that they have and the various strengths of those gifts that they have. Some person might have a really strong gift of teaching and that's what they've got uh, and somebody else might have a, a lesser strength gift of teaching but then they've also got some exhortation thrown in there and they've got a gift of service and so think about yourself as having a gift mix or a gift blend given to you by God knowing exactly what he wanted you to do in life giving you special abilities empowered by the Holy Spirit to do his will and bring him glory in the world so give, think about yourself as having a gift mix or what? Mutts. Mutts? mutts? Yeah. <laughs> Debbie says we're mutts. We're not purebreds. <laughs> so that's, that's an error that we should avoid. Also, we should avoid the error of thinking that only those with certain gifts are responsible to do that thing. Oh, yeah. Let me try to explain that. Are, are there only a select few who are responsible to teach because only they have been gifted with the gift of teaching? Are only a few people supposed to exhort? Are only a few people supposed to show mercy or to give or to serve? That's not true. Let's just take a few of those, like teaching. Are there only a few people who are supposed to teach? Well, on the one hand, James 3 does says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that you will come under greater judgment. You'll incur a stricter judgment. So there is a sense when the official teachers within the church should be careful that they don't enter upon that ministry without God calling them. But there are other places in Scripture where Paul says that every Christian is to teach in, one, in another sense. For example, Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and teaching or instruction of the Lord. So fathers are to teach their children. Or Hebrews 5.12 the author says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, that's all I really have to read, <laughs> for by this time you ought to be teachers. So there's a sense in which all the church there that he was writing to, the author to the Hebrews, expected that baby Christians would grow up and become mature and be able to teach. Maybe not as official teachers in the church, but as people who can teach one another informally. Maybe in discipling relationships. Or here's another one, Colossians 3.16. Paul says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Did you notice? He's talking to the whole church, and he says, All of you should be teaching and admonishing one another. It's not just that the pastor or the elders are supposed to do that, but the whole body is encouraged to be involved in this teaching and admonishing of one another. Well, what about the gift of exhortation? Well, Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort, now he's writing to the whole body there, but exhort one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we have a responsibility to exhort one another. Whether or not we're especially gifted or not, um, we still have that responsibility. How about showing mercy? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
All of us are responsible to show mercy. What about giving? Well, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, not some, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God has called every Christian to be a faithful steward of his money and his possessions and to give as he directs them. So it's not just those with the gift of giving that give, right? What about serving? Is it just those with the gift of service that are supposed to serve? No. Paul says in Romans 12, 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So we are all to serve. So, if we're all called to do all of these things, then how can I know when I am gifted? I mean, if every Christian is supposed to serve and give and show mercy and exhort and teach and all these things, how do I know if I'm gifted in that area or if I'm just doing it because I'm responsible to do it? You see, see the question? Okay, I'm going to try to help you with that. And I think it's actually pretty simple. These Christian activities that we are responsible to do become spiritual gifts in us when two things take place. Number one, when God gives you a strong desire or a burden to do that thing, and when God makes you effective in doing that thing. So in other words, ask yourself, do I have a burden or a desire to minister in this particular way? Number one. And number two, is God using me when I do that thing? Do I see his power flow through me to actually get his will done in the earth and benefit people and help them spiritually? So, do I have a desire and a power in this area? If you have a desire to do something in service to the Lord and God uses you when you do that particular thing in service to the Lord, then I would say that is most probably a spiritual gift that you have in your life. That makes sense? Okay. So those are some common errors. Now that we've pushed those to the side, let's take a look at the six other gifts that we haven't looked at yet here in Romans 12, 6 through 8. Now, before we do, I just want to read one passage from 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11. Peter does not list specific spiritual gifts, but what he does say is, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, there's a ton packed in there. First of all, as each one... So none of you can say, well, I guess I don't have to do this because I don't have a gift. The Bible says you do. Each one. Not most of you or some of you, but all of you have spiritual gifts. And what you're supposed to do with that is employ them. Now, I do that in my business. I take people, I hire them, and I put them to work. I employ them. That's what you're to do with your gift. Take your gift and put that gift to work. If that gift is doing nothing, you're not employing it. It's collecting unemployment, <laughs> right? It's just on the sidelines doing nothing. You're to put that gift to work. And then he says, do that in serving one another. Notice that the purpose of your gift is not for you. It's for other people. 
put it to work in serving others as good stewards. Now, what are we the steward of in this particular situation? The gift. The gift. Yeah. God has entrusted to you this gift. Remember those parables that Jesus told about giving ten minas to one and five to another? Well, he was talking... Um, Spiritual gifts are just like that parable. Each one of us has been given different things and different amounts of certain gifts. We're to put that together as good stewards so that when Christ returns and he says, so what have you done with the 10 minas I gave you? We won't say, well, I put it in a napkin and I hid it under the ground and here it is, back to you. We'll say, no, I made 10 minas more. I put it to work. Lord, this is what happened when I used the gift that you gave me. And then he says, do it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace comes in various colors and hues and shades. The gifts are all various and unique and beautiful within God's church. And so be, be a good steward. And then he says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you notice the two categories of gifts that Peter divides them up into? What are they, Oleg? Speaking, sir. Yeah, you got them right there on the thing, don't you? <laughs> but yeah, he divides them into speaking gifts and serving gifts. So a speaking gift is a special ability that God gives you involving speaking. A serving gift is a special ability God gives you involving doing. Something you do versus something that you say. So when we go back to Romans 12, let's take a look first of all at the serving gifts. Special abilities that God gives related to something that we actually do. And the first one is serving. The gift of service. Now, what would this look like if you were gifted in service? What is the gift of service? Well, most probably it has to do with basic bottom line doing practical tasks and chores to help other people within the body of Christ. You're just, you're just a servant. A servant is not in the limelight. He's not being praised and congratulated. And a lot, many times the person with this gift doesn't want to be in the limelight anyway. They want to be behind the scenes. I'm thinking about someone in our own church that I think has this gift and he's just in the, he's behind the scenes all the time. But he's a wonderful servant to the rest of the body. You guys probably know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so they might do things like coming early and setting up chairs. They're serving. Or running the audiovisual equipment or uploading sermons or making meals for people who are sick and taking them to them. Or buying groceries for people who can't get out and delivering them. Um, or fixing somebody's computer. You know, just, just any task that needs to be done. And right now, with the fact that most of us are locked in and we can't get out and we can't do a whole lot, we, we do have opportunities, I think, for this gift. Um, just last week, Debbie bought groceries and took them to somebody else. As that was a way of serving. Um, I think if you have an elderly neighbor next door, you can mow his lawn for him. If he, He's not going to be able to do that right now. 
I mean, the sky's the limit when you think about how you can serve practically other people. So, even though we're, what do they call it, sheltering at home, there's still ways we can serve. We can still do that. Okay, second gift here is the gift of giving. Let's notice that one. It comes up in verse 8. He who gives, let him do it with liberality. Now, the Greek word behind liberality can mean one of two things. It can mean liberality, in other words, generosity. That makes a lot of sense. If you have the gift of giving, be generous. But it can also mean simplicity. And in some versions it's translated, give with simplicity. Now what would he mean by that? How do you give with simplicity? I think what he means, and, and by the way, both of those, generously and simply, are really good descriptions of how a person ought to give. I, I think what he, he probably means by simplicity is by not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Right? That you give in secret, you're not touting, blowing your own horn, blowing a trumpet. Hey, come watch me put my gift into the treasury. Nobody even knows because you're doing it very simply behind the scenes. You're, not, you're doing it for God's eyes, nobody else's eyes. In fact, Jesus says, if you don't do it that way, you've already received your reward in full. So that we are to give for the Lord's eyes alone. So if you have the gift of giving, then do it simply and do it generously. I think the person with the gift of giving probably a lot of times is going to be a person who has good business skills and they're able to make a lot of money because they're good at business. And I've known people who have had this gift who lived extremely simple lives, very frugal. I, I'm thinking about one person in my past who used to live in a mobile home and he gave away well over half of everything that came in uh, for missions. He was supporting missions, especially over in Russia. I thought, well, what a great example he was. Uh, he wasn't interested in living super comfortably or ex extravagantly. He wanted the gospel to go out to all the world, and so he, that's where he invested his money. I think it was cl close to like 70% of everything that came in was going out. So I would, I would say he definitely had the gift of giving. Um, some of you may have that gift. It's a wonderful thing. You delight in being able to be a conduit to pass along funds to get the gospel out or to help hurting people, to do God's will in the earth. The gift of service illustrates truth. The gift of giving propagates truth. And right now, I think we have a lot of opportunity, if you have this gift of giving, to exercise it. Because people are hurting everywhere. Lots of people are unemployed. People are out of work. Uh, just recently, we had a chance to give to the, the poor brethren in Vietnam who many of them can't work because of the coronavirus and all they need is rice to survive. So there was a way that we could use that gift to give to them. But you're going to see more and more opportunities popping up. And if you have this gift, just be prayerful and ask the Lord if He wants you to use you in that way. And if so, give generously and simply. Okay, how about the gift of lead, leading? He mentions that gift in verse 8 as well. 
He who leads is supposed to do that with diligence. Do you guys understand that word, diligence? How would you define that? Being a hard worker. Yeah, a hard worker, yep. Making every effort to do something. So this is not the guy who's spiritually lazy. This is a guy who really stirs himself up and he applies himself. He's a hard worker. He invests himself. The one who has the gift of leading has to be a hard worker. He's got to be diligent. And the gift of leading is the ability to lead other people where they need to go. So that might be leading believers into spiritual maturity. All believers need to be led into spiritual maturity. And so the person with the gift of leading can do that. It might be leading a church into new ventures of faith. I thought recently about this new venture of adopting villages in Viet Vietnam could be one example, or adopting a village here locally, not a village, a neighborhood, an apartment complex locally, and trying to minister to them. Um, but any venture of faith that God is wanting a church to go into, the pe people with the gift of leadership can set that vision and can call people to move in that direction. So if you're trying to lead other people and nobody's following, you probably don't have this gift. <laughs> because a person who has the gift of leadership is able to set a direction, set a path, and because people trust them and they have confidence in them, they'll follow. Elders especially need this gift because they've been called to lead a flock, to watch over a flock and to lead it. And just like the gift of giving propagates truth and serving um, illustrates truth, the gift of leading models truth. And right now, as at all times, we need people with the gift of leadership because we're all a little bit confused and a little scrambled thinking we were so uncertain about what's happening when all this is going to end and what it means for us it's great when God has people in the body that can raise up and say this is this is what God wants us to do let's go follow me I'm leading you um, I, th I thought of Jerome in this area because I think he's done a great job of leading these video chat prayer meetings mm -hmm. uh, he's a gift to the body in that area so we thank God for him all right let's look at the gift of mercy he who shows mercy is to do it with cheerfulness. This one can be a bit confusing because mercy is something that two different kinds of people need. Either someone who is guilty and needs to be forgiven, they need mercy, or someone who is suffering and need to be relieved of suffering, they need someone to have mercy on them. And when you think about this gift to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense that it means forgiveness. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense that God gifts certain people to be able to forgive others. Because everyone is commanded to show mercy um, to everybody. It makes a lot more sense to me that he's talking about people that are suffering that need relief. And other people are especially gifted by God to come into their lives and show abundant compassion to them and reach out to those that are hurting. I'm thinking about someone at Milpitas Bible Fellowship now. You, can prob you probably know who I mean. Who is always thinking about the hurting. And she was always relating to those, those people. Whether they were people who lived alone and were lonely and grossly overweight. Or people who came from a whole different culture and didn't know anybody. Um, 
just, I don't know, she would just gravitate to people in old folks' homes, um, just always looking for the person who is hurting around her. I think she probably had this gift, the gift of mercy. She was looking for people that were suffering and hurting and had hurting hearts and she had compassion towards them and so she went to them, whoever they were, and she did her best to try to reach them and bring them out of that condition. But whoever has this gift is to do it with cheerfulness. Now why do you suppose that's important? What if they had a sour face when they went to try to minister to someone? It's not going to do a lot of good, is it? Yeah, that'll make them feel worse. Like if they went to a hospital to visit someone and said, well, I really didn't want to come, but I knew you needed someone to be here, so I'm here, you know. <laughs> That's not cheerfulness. <laughs> it's not going to minister to them. <laughs> so you can't, you can't exercise this gift out of drudgery or because you have to. You, you need a positive, uplifting, cheerful spirit to show mercy to people that are suffering. So if God calls you to go feed the homeless, do it with cheerfulness. And we still have opportunity um, to exercise this gift abundantly because there are so many people that are suffering. It made me think of how many people live alone so they don't have anyone that they're going through this whole thing with right now. They just live by themselves and maybe are very lonely. And that's their pain. Um, but we can reach out in various ways like phone or text or emails or video chats or whatever, there, there's ways we can connect with each other in spite of the fact that we can't actually be with each other. So, if, you, if God has made you like this, where he's given you a, a real compassion for hurting people, just be really aware of the opportunities that he's putting around you. And be praying that the Lord would make you sensitive to the opportunities that he wants you to get involved in. Okay, so those are the serving gifts. Let's look at the speaking gifts. We've already looked at one, which is prophecy. There's two more, teaching and exhorting. So the gift of teaching. This is the person that loves to study and do research, and he loves to learn and he loves to compile all that information and then be able to, to instruct others by taking things that can be very complicated and making it very simple and clear. That's a guy with, who's gifted in teaching. He loves to bring clarification of the scripture and to show what it means. Now that's different from exhorting. They don't, they're not going to tell you what scripture means. They're going to tell you what to do with it. <laughs> like I think of the gift of exhortation. I think of Francis Chan. I've watched a bunch of his, I've listened to a bunch of his sermons and watched a bunch of videos, and I don't really learn too much. He's not clarifying the meaning of scripture, but he is stirring you up to action. So I think he has the gift of exhortation. John MacArthur, on the other hand, has the gift of teaching. He is all about expositing a text and giving you the meaning. What does this actually mean in its original context, in the original languages? What's the context here? So do you see that they're two different gifts, but they're both needed within the body of Christ because we need to know what Scripture means and then we need to be stirred up to actually do what Scripture says. So that's the gift of teaching. He clarifies truth. The gift of leadership demonstrates truth. The gift of teaching clarifies truth. And so 
if you have the gift of teaching, and it can be really strong or not so strong, remember there's different intensities and strengths, but whatever that is, um, use your gift. And you might use it in a discipling relationship. Or you might use it by, by posting texts to the rest of the church. Just a couple of paragraphs. But if, if God has built you in such a way that you love to, to get into and study scripture and dig in and find out the meaning of a text, then, then help the rest of the church by, sh by displaying the fruit of your study with them. Because we're made the richer for your contribution to our lives. So you don't have to stand in front and preach to use the gift of teaching. You can do it in many different ways. Once this whole coronavirus is over, we can come back together in small groups, missional communities, Bible studies. And when that happens, one-on-one -on -one or, or in a small group, use your gift. Use, use the gift that God has given to you. Okay, what about exhorting? Well, I've already said this is the guy who stirs you up to action. Uh, just as we see or use a poker to stir up those smoldering embers in a fireplace to burst them into flame, so the person with the gift of exhortation stirs our consciences so that the truth is not just abstract theology, but it's worked out in our daily lives. We actually do something with the scripture that we have been taught. Mm -hmm. One of the dangers is just to, to sit and learn and go away and sit and learn. I can remember times when I would listen to sermon upon sermon upon sermon and I'm taking it in and taking it in. But what, man, you have to have some time to reflect on that and to, to figure out what am I going to do with that teaching. We can become sponges and we become oversaturated where we can't even take in anymore. So we need both the gift of exhortation and the gift of teaching. And the gift of exhortation helps us not just to become oversaturated sponges, but to wring them out and actually live out the gospel in our lives. He gives us a kick in the rear because all of us have a tendency towards spiritual laziness. And so he urges us to apply what we have learned. And so if you have that gift, then be sensitive and open and looking for opportunities to use it. And you'll see those opportunities whenever you're around other people, either face-to-face -face or digitally, or, or through some kind of distance, but electronically. Um, use your gift. Stir us up. Say, brothers and sisters, this is what the Bible says. Let's not just know it. Let's do it. Let's do it this week. Let's plan a day this week when we're going to do that thing. Serving illustrates truth, giving propagates truth, leading models truth, showing mercy demonstrates truth, teaching clarifies truth, and exhorting applies truth. So, let's boil all this down. You might think, well, I don't know if I really fit in any of those six areas that we've talked about today. But the Lord has given you a unique gift mix, and it's His will for you to be involved in ministry. If you think about the Christian life as like a, a sporting game, a, a football game, God doesn't want anyone sitting on the sidelines watching the game. He wants every one of us in the game doing something. It doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, doesn't, there is always something for us to do to be able to contribute. I remember little old Jenny Morse, 80-some years old in Milpitas. 
she contributed by her prayer life. She had a list that long, and she would go through that list, and she'd be praying every day. Now, she was very weak and very frail, and she was hunched over. Remember at the end, she could barely, John would help her get into the church. But she was the prayer warrior of our church. Amen. So that was her contribution for the body. And probably the most important contribution anyone was making back then was little Jenny Morris. Behind the scenes, no one knows about her, except a few. So don't exempt yourself. If you exempt yourself and say, well, I, I'm just too old, or I'm just too sick, or I'm just, I don't have these gifts, I, there's nothing I can do. What you're doing is you are hurting the body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we need the, more, the most unpresentable members, we need them the most. In other words, you might think, well, who am I? I've got nothing to offer. No, that's not true. Every single Christian has something that God wants them to offer. Because we are, be the, we are the poorer. If you don't show up and if you don't um, get involved and if you don't contribute what God has given you, we are the poor. We lack. We suffer as a church because of that. So my exhortation to you is to get involved to be committed and use your God-given abilities for His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this section in Romans. And we do pray for clarity on how you want to use us. And I pray, Father, that as we have a discussion, that you can help us to figure out the areas that you want us to particularly focus on because you've given us special abilities in those areas. So would you be present now, Lord, as we seek to get the church uh, involved in contributing to one another, that, that the body would minister to itself in love. We thank you for your word, in Jesus' name, amen.